Thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Business of Fun podcast. I am your host, Dave Wakeman. Today's episode is brought to you by my friends at Booking Protect, the global leaders in refund protection. Any listing, any sector, anywhere, Booking Protect has you covered with the world's most comprehensive refund protection product. To find out how you and your organization can partner with Booking Protect to deliver world-class customer service, a better buying experience, and how you can create a new stream of revenue for your organization, visit them at www.bookingprotect.com. Again, that web address is www.bookingprotect.com. Com. This podcast is going live on the 16th of January, 2020. It's hard to believe it's 2020, but next week is Intix in New York City, and I want you to come see me and Simon, Kat, Kath, and Vicky. It's going to be a whole slew of us at the Booking Protect spot on the trade show floor. That's booth number 522. Simon tells me that we have a game. High and low with huge jumbo cards. It's going to be great. As Simon said on the phone when we were chatting about it the other day, the famous white couches will be there. Uh, cartoons, all kinds of great stuff. So check out 522 as an additive incentive. An added incentive. We're right across from the food and beverage stand. So you don't want to miss this. All right. So that's 522 at the Intix Expo. Also, if you don't see me at 522, there's one other place I might be, and it'll be hanging out with Einar and uh, Martin at the Activity Stream booth at number 230. And the reason I'm going to be hanging out over there is because they're also next to the food and beverage. Um, but go by, check them out, say hello to me at either the Booking Protect booth or the Activity Stream booth. All right? And say hello to Simon, Martin, Einar, Kat, Kath, and Vicky. Come on now. Also, on Monday, the 20th of January, when I get in, uh, from 5 to 6, I'm going to be having a drink or two at Faces and Names on 55th Street. It's just around the corner from between 6th and 7th, right across, uh, right around the corner from the hotel, uh, the Hilton, where the conference is being held. So if you want to check that out, 5 to 6, before the opening reception on Broadway, um, I will be there. I don't know who's going to be meeting me, but I will be there. Um, if you need to get in touch with me, send me an email. DavidDaveWakeman.com. Let me know if you're going to be in New York next week and we can get together. My guest today I'm really excited to share with you is a friend of mine from Melbourne, Australia, Ryan Wallman. Ryan is an advertising man and he works uh, for Wellmark in Australia writing ad copy for drugs. But... Ryan and I were talking about his love of the Australian Football League when we got together while I was in Melbourne. So I was like, oh, oh, you got a book coming out? Why don't you come on and talk about advertising and marketing in your book and, you know, tell me some of your impressions of sports, right? So we did this. It was great. Um, Number one, I was hopped up on uh, cold medicine. So if I sound a little bit funky, forgive me. Um, and the episode has a little bit of um, some technical difficulties because my Wi-Fi connection was screwed up. But this is a really great conversation um, because Ryan is one of the people that I look to as an inspiration when I think about marketing and advertising. And he's very humble about uh, his place um, as somebody that a lot of us look up to as an advertiser and a marketer. Uh, in this podcast, we talked about we started out talking about his love of the AFL and the West Coast Eagles. You know, um, both of us are really big fans of what the AFL is doing from a marketing and advertising standpoint. Um, and we talk about, 
you know, how they can reach and grow new audiences and reach new people because the AFL is working really, really hard to expand their impact across Australia. Um, and so Ryan goes through a little bit of a history of AFL football, um, which is a nice companion to another episode, which we talk about during this one with Ali Shoyer, who is now in the AFL's office. Uh, we also talk about some principles of advertising and marketing that we think people should be paying attention to. Um, this was like something that I was really keen to share more of this year. So that's great. We talk about ad agencies. We talk about talking to the customers and some of the reluctance that people have when they're talking to customers. We uh, talk about fear. We talk about um, Ryan's background in medicine and how that has impacted his um ability to be a good marketer and a great advertiser we talk about the marketing mix we talk about balance we talk, then we talk about his book and the book is called delusions of brander and it is really really great um it's a gasp book um who giles edwards helped design and it, this thing is it really is one of the coolest books i've seen in a long time it is uh funny it is sharp it is so well written um, it is insightful. It's just unbelievable. And you shouldn't miss the humor be, because it. I think we talk, Ryan and I talk about using humor to hide some difficult truths. And he does that because he talks about how as marketers and advertisers, people tend to get bored and they'll stop running an ad campaign because they're bored of it, not because their market is. Uh, we talk about you know some of the people he skewers and some of the ways that Humor helps get points across. Uh, then we go through at the end and we make some jokes about something that some things you'll have to read the book to figure out. Um, but it's really, really awesome. Uh, I was excited to have Ryan on just because, I mean, again, he is one of those people that I really look up to as an advertiser and a marketer. I was excited to expose him and share him with you. Um, any technical difficulties, please forgive us for. That's not my fault. Um, but this is awesome, and I really um, I'm, I'm excited to hear what you say about the conversation with Ryan Wallman on the Business of Fun podcast. I want to welcome my friend Ryan Wallman to the Business of Fun podcast. Ryan, how's it going, man? It's going very well, thank you. How are you, Dave? Oh, I'm great. I'm great. Um, now, most of the time I talk sports marketing here, but I'm going to like pull the shed back here and just say, look, we're here to sell your book today. Um, but we'll start out talking <laughs> sports marketing. Uh, but the book is Delusions of Brandier, and if you don't listen to anything else except for that, buy the book. It's fantastic. Um, and I know I haven't <laughs> told you that yet, but it is a fantastic book. It's the best book I read this year. Um, it might be uh, the, yeah, it might okay. be the only book I read this. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. That's a, that's a huge plug. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a huge plug. No, it's a great book, uh, and we'll talk about that in a little bit more. But to, but how we were figured out we would uh, enter my audience was we talk about some Australian football league, right? Because when we got together in Melbourne, I was just coming back from speaking at the AFL's uh, fan day, and you were telling me that you're a huge AFL fan. So. Correct. Because one of the fun things that they thought, or one of the things the AFL thought would be fun, was to try to get me to pronounce people, team names. Uh, I'm going to ask you to, t <laughs> <laughs> to tell people who your favorite team is and kind of how you got involved uh, or got into being a fan of the AFL. Well, sure, yeah. I don't know. My, my pronunciation is probably going to be quite strange for, for your audience, but it's uh, my team's the West Coast Eagles, uh, who are from Perth. Uh, how did I get into AFL? I, look, I grew up with it, so they're, they're essentially three. Australian states that are AFL centric, <laughs> AFL dominated. 
um, which is Victoria, South Australia and Western Australia. And so I, I kind of grew up watching it from, you know, from as far, far as long ago as I can remember. Um, and at that stage, there was no national competition. So, so there were three state competitions. Um, and then when I, I would have been about, uh, 11 or 12, um, Perth kind of joined the, the national competition, which was essentially kind of tacked onto the Victorian League. Uh, and that, and so the West Coast Eagles were born at that point. So I've been following them ever since. Um, and, and am passionate to say the least. Yeah, no, that, that is exactly what came across when we talked. And, um, yeah. <laughs> as a, as a, somebody who I think is a great advertiser and a great marketer, um, I'm curious to ask you, what do you think about some of the marketing and advertising that the AFL does for the sport? Well, they are a, they're a powerhouse, um, you know, both in terms of the, the, the money that they make and, and their marketing in general, you know, they're a very slick operation. Um, and, you know, particularly from the, from having witnessed how they have evolved, you know, the, as I say, the, you know, at their inception, they were really the VFL, which was the Victorian Football League, um, and then became this national competition and it's just grown into a, into a behemoth. Really, um, very sophisticated marketing. Um, the brand is is huge, <laughs> um, and and specifically the West Coast Eagles have have a very um, very strong marketing department. Um, they're you know we're one of the richest clubs in the competition, um, and you know they don't sort of leave any um, opportunity go by <laughs> for for marketing themselves and kind of marketing the competition. So so yeah, it's a pretty um, it's, it, 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 there are few better examples in Australia, I think, than, than, than how the AFL is marketed. Yeah, I came away from the event that I was at. Uh, number one, I was like, it, it was, what I did was comparable to speaking after the, in the NFL, Roger Goodell. So I was, you know, so, so, so they won me over just by like, you know, um, puffing me up a little bit, but was just. Yeah, well, you spoke, after, you spoke after the CEO, didn't you? That's exactly right. <laughs> you know, flattery will get you anywhere. So they the AFL yeah. will always be my favorite league when I'm on the podcast. <laughs> uh, but is how really thoughtful and, um, forward thinking, progressive they are in the way that they approach. Uh, their marketing and advertising the sport and continuing to cry, try to grow it. Um, I know one of the big initiatives that they're dealing with is trying to grow the sport in the north, I believe it is, because like you said, there's three states that are primarily um, AFL, you know, footy, t- uh, footy states, and they struggle yep. in other areas. And so, you know, it's interesting to me to watch them take on that challenge because I, you know, I know that one of the things that they've done is they brought in a friend of mine and I, I don't know if you've had a chance to, to have a drink with Ollie yet since he's moved to Melbourne, but Ollie Not Shoyer. Yet. Not yet. Oh, well, we got to make yep. this happen. Yep. I know nothing well, but no, yeah. we haven't yet. And, and he, you know, cause his, he's go back, search the archives here. He was on the podcast, but his, He's yep, comes yep, from an agent. Yep. Oh yeah, he comes from an agency background, and he talks a lot about the basics of marketing and advertising. Now I know because you know we've known each other for a little bit of time now as well. One of the things that you talk about in your work as well is about the basics of marketing and advertising. And one of the things that 
gets lost a lot of times in all the noise around marketing from the gurus and the ninjas and whatever BS term they use to describe themselves lately um, is a lot of these basics. And one of the things that I want to talk about with people this year is helping them understand what the basics of marketing and advertising look like. And so my question to you, because you're going to be the first person to get a chance to ask this, is you know, if I was going to describe what one or two key elements, just like the most basic principles of marketing and advertising are, how would you describe them to somebody? Well, I, I, you know, I think, first of all, I completely agree with you. I think there seems to be this um, almost rejection of of basic traditional principles um, in the marketing industry. Uh, I don't entirely know why that is. I think, I think part of it is the fact that it's a, a very youth-dominated industry, very enamoured with with kind of whatever new shiny thing is uh, is thrust upon us. So there's certainly that. I guess in terms of um, you know what are what are the really key principles that we need to understand? Well, the first, and I think this probably touches on what you've talked about there with with the AFL, is 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 simple reach and acquiring new customers. The importance of acquiring new customers and growth. Over, over this, um, you know, what, what has been a bit of an obsession with, with loyalty marketing and that kind of thing. And so this, this is really something that's been brought to the fore by people like Byron Sharp and how, how brands grow. You know, he, he has made it very clear using a lot of evidence that, um, you know, the, the underpinning of growth really comes through acquisition rather than through retention. Um, not to say that retention isn't important, but, but obviously, you know, acquisition is, is a really important goal of marketing. Um, uh, I guess another one, which is a, which you would have seen uh, a lot from the likes of uh, people like Mark Ritson, is that it is really important to be um, channel neutral. So, you know, you, you see a lot of agencies in particular who, who tend to specialise in one particular channel. So whether it's you know social media or um, influencer marketing or whatever whatever you want to call all these things. Um, it's it's absolutely vital to um, be agnostic, as they say, in in the channels that you use. So you, so you use the channels that are going to be most appropriate for your marketing strategy, um, rather than kind of starting with a channel and working backwards. And and that's a, you know what what we see a lot, and it's a huge mistake. Um, so probably yeah, if there if there were two pretty simple um, principles that I would. Uh, consider to be absolutely key. That's yeah, probably no, I, two I mean, of them. I would agree with both of them. I think that if you're not kind of always looking to grow, gain new customers, then your business is not going to hold up as a stable or growing concern for very long. You might get some things by retention yep. and word of mouth, but if you're not always focusing on acquisition, I think you are going to be short-lived. Um, what, what's interesting, though, is you brought up Mark Ritson and being channel neutral, because I know lately reading his stuff, you know, he's talked about some of the fallacies of um, TV being dead, um, you know, or some of, the <laughs> you know, or some of the, the crazy things like you said, in, influencer, um, you know, all these things. You talked about knowing what's right for your, you know, your market and your customers. What would you get point to as um, ways to understand what is the right way to reach your customers? You know, and I guess that's a little bit of like you know understanding your market very well. But you know, what would be what, what would be some guidelines you'd give people to help them understand how to go back to the basics of understanding you know what channel I should use because I, I know that's lost on a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> look, look, probably the simple answer to that is that there you need to start with with market research 
Uh, and this is one of the principles. In fact, I'll, I'll plug Mark Ritson's course here. Um, so Mark Ritson does uh, an online course called a mini MBA in marketing, um, which is a, a pretty short uh, course, but essentially covers the brand management course that he has taught for a long time at business schools around the world. Um, and in that, he uh, you know emphasizes the importance of always starting from the the kind of platform of of research first, so market research first, exactly as you say, Dave. You know, to understand who who your market is, who your customers are, um, and from there you then kind of lead into your segmentation, targeting, positioning, and so on. And you need to kind of move through that process if you if you're really going to do it properly. And so once you have um, that basis, then you can start to look at what are the channels that are going to be um, most appropriate for that audience. And there's you know, of course, that's going to vary massively um, depending on on who your target audiences are. Um, so, if you've got a retirement insurance plan, that's going to be a very different audience from um, you know kids who are on Snapchat. So, that's that's the kind of simple and difficult answer, if you like. There's, there's really no getting around um, having to do those things. Um, and the other, but the other thing I think that's important to say is the importance of um, multiple channels. Uh, there's uh, there's uh, some really good evidence um, for the multiplicative effect of of marketing channels. So, just using one or, or even two channels is um, is not going to be as effective as using multiple channels, generally speaking. So, so that's probably the you know yeah. The, there's the um, basis of clear it. research, and I oh, I'll see if I can dig it out and even put it in the show notes that I saw recently, where it's like the, the compounding effect. Every time you add a different touch point in a different channel how much of an increase it gets, and it lifts you. Yep. Um, and when we're talking about market research, I was asking you about talking to customers and why there seems to be such a um, unwillingness to talk to customers. Why do you think that is? Uh, short answer is I don't really know, um, but I do think that there is almost a fear uh, of finding out what um, what market is uh, don't don't want to hear. Um, I think there are often a lot of assumptions made by marketers about you know who their audience is and how they think, um, and and al- almost an arrogance I think about you know they kind of assume that they know better, uh, and so they are reluctant to find out that you know the the strategy that they've developed or the or, or the channel they've decided on or whatever is not the one that is actually going to be right um and and obviously market research is a way of of being relatively objective about those things at least kind of ostensibly um and and certainly in um in advertising agencies i think that is probably the classic they're they're uh, you know i think they really they, there's a, a massive disconnect between them uh, and their customers in many cases. For, I mean, uh, one simple example is the fact that, um, you know, the average age in advertising agencies is something like 32. <laughs> and so trying to, to market to older customers can be really difficult, despite the fact that older customers tend to be, um, you know, the ones with the money. That's so exactly that's right. just an yeah. example. But, you know, yeah, I, th- I think that that is a, a relevant example of, the, of just how, um, out of touch they can be with with their audiences. Not obviously not everyone. You know there are great marketers around, but but as a general um, comment, I think that's probably true. Yeah, and that's what's interesting, right? Is that you know I think if I put myself in my thirty year old self, or you probably as a thirty year old Ryan, we would be completely ignorant of so many things that we've learned over the last you know ten fifteen years about you know how to market to people, but how to just probably be a human. Which when I talk to you. 
is something I didn't mention, and I probably should, is that you're now you're in advertising, but but you are a doctor, and if I'm yeah. not mistaken, you were a psychologist. Am I correct? Uh, well, psychiatry. Yeah, I was yeah. working in psychiatry. Okay. Yeah. So, yes. and like I said, and what's interesting to me is does how does that help you as a marketer and as an advertiser? Because I would think that you know having to deal with people in these. Why is there such a poor network connection? Oh, uh, no, I don't no, know what happened there. No, I, 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 no. Uh, there, <laughs> as the first time I say, oh, I, I usually don't have to edit these things. I'm going to have to edit this one. <laughs> uh, uh, I shouldn't know. I jinxed it. I jinxed it. <laughs> well, it's fine. But I, oh, so let me. And this is if this for anybody listening. If this comes out, this will be like the first one I've ever edited. But what I was <laughs> asking though is, you know, how is your experience at a doctor either help or harm you at, in your role as an advertiser and a marketer now? Well, I think it certainly has helped, um, in turn, and particularly because of that psychiatry experience. I think just having that human understanding, as you say, and, and sort of an understanding of, um, why people do the things they do, human motivation and behavior and those kinds of things. So that certainly helped. And I think one of the really important aspects of psychiatry is, is, you know, being able to empathize with the person that you are treating. So, so there are certainly parallels there. I guess in terms of how it's hindered, uh, well, I, I started too late <laughs> in this industry, which puts me in a disadvantage <laughs> because, uh, you know, it is a young, young man's game in many ways, a young person's game. Um, but I guess the other thing is that, uh, and this has probably been both a, a positive and a negative, is that I came from a very rational, scientific, evidence-based background. Uh, and coming into marketing that until fairly recently, that really hasn't been the case for marketing. So that was a bit of a shock to the system. So it took me a while to adjust to the fact that, that people often did things for, you know, without having much, um, evidence behind them or, or, or any kind of basis in scientific th- um, thinking. Uh, fortunately that has changed, you know, even in the time that I've been in the industry, I think with, with you know, the publication of how brands grow and the kind of a, a, a better understanding of, um, the reasons why uh, marketing works and advertising works. Um, so yes, I think uh, coming from that background certainly made me more skeptical about um, a lot of the things that you hear in marketing and a lot of the conjecture that that really doesn't have a lot of basis for it. Um, so I think that's been and certainly been an advantage in that respect. And as you mentioned, the idea that until recently marketing was really emotionally driven and now there's a lot more data to help justify decisions or help people make better decisions. What do you, mm-hmm. how do you strike the balance between the two? Because I know that there's a whole group of marketers that live and die by spreadsheets and numbers. And then there's still a whole group of marketers and advertisers who are completely emotion driven. But somewhere in the middle, there's a balance. How do you strike that balance? Well, I think it is a balance. You're right. Um, and anyone who kind of goes too far to either extreme, I think, is making a mistake. Um, but it's, I guess it's important to know when when the data is important and, and when um, it's, it can become a measure in itself that, that actually isn't going to help you. Um, and pr- probably the simplest way to think about it, I, I guess, is, is along the lines of um, Les Binet and Peter Field's 
um, IPA work, which is, you know, the, their focus, what, the, the old 40-60 rule that 40% of um, your work should be direct response and 60% brand building. I think that's right. Um, they might have revised that slightly recently. Uh, but But that kind of gets to the nub of it in that I think direct response advertising and direct marketing um, it's very important to be to be led by the data and, and to um, understand the analytics behind what you're doing whereas brand building work really is is more along the lines of the the emotional um, uh, principle so yeah I mean that's a, no, that's a simplification but I th- but I think that's certainly true so probably something of that mix is important. Yeah, and, and I get it too, right? It, it's not an easy question to answer. And I think one of the reasons that, um, and I don't maybe even want to give these people any kind of light, uh, from the, whatever audience is listening to this, but that's, I think one of the reasons that some of these, um, I think the term I learned in Australia was numpties. Some of these numpties are able to, <laughs> <laughs> are able to catch purchase with, people who are trying to figure out how to become better marketers is because it is a difficult question to answer, right? You you say 40 to 60 and then there people are out there going, well, half of your marketing is just being wasted anyway. And you kind of go, well, you don't know. That's not necessarily true because your brand building thing is not necessarily always going to get you an immediate response because you don't, that's not what it's there for. And And so how do you, you know, and I I know how I explain it. I mean, I explain it sort of like that. How do you explain that to people? You know, how do you, you show people that like, it's not wasting money by investing in brand building. It's a vital and necessary part of your marketing mix. Well, probably the best, the, one of the ways that I do it is to, is to show them that work. Um, because, you know, it's very difficult to simply say to a client, for example, well, you just have to take a leap of faith that this, this part is, go- is going to work, you know, in, in two years or three years or whatever, because that's very difficult, particularly when, when there's this kind of short-term mindset. Uh, so as much as possible, I'll try to rely on, on the work of other people and, and, and show them, you know, this is, this has been shown over, you know, many years to, to be the best way to, um, to approach your marketing and, and, you know, when you can, when you can actually show them, um, that kind of evidence, that helps. Uh, but there's, there is still always some uncertainty in marketing, of course, and, and you can't kind of guarantee anything. And so th- I think it's important to make people aware of that as well, that there will always be some, um, there will, there will be something of a leap of faith, particularly with brand building work. Yeah. Yeah. But, but it's important to, to know that, it's not necessarily about being brave because the, the if you don't undertake brand building work um that is incredibly risky uh and so it's almost shifting that uh discussion from from kind of one of bravery and and risk taking to to actually minimizing the risk as much as possible yeah and i think maybe one of the things that challenges people is they see these direct to consumer uh brands that are out there now right and they go oh well they're they're only doing direct response stuff and that's like the image maybe people have which is completely wrong because i would go hey no they were incredibly good at doing brand building because the only reason people were responding to all that all of their direct response ads is because those brands were so great um and i don't know if you have yep. an opinion on that 
Well, my uh, my first opinion on it, I think, is that they tend to be the exceptions to the rule of really successful um, DTC brands, um, and so they're probably not the best examples for for you know a business that's starting out, for example. Um, but that's exactly right. You know, the, the the purpose of brand building is to make your direct response and your activations more effective. Um, and that's that's the cumulative effect over time. So, um, so you're exactly right. You know that it doesn't work in isolation. Nothing works in isolation. Um, sure. <laughs> I, it's that uh, well, I, I don't remember where I saw it, but somebody goes, "Well, it depends," and that's like usually the best answer, but the least satisfying. But that's exactly. like usually yeah. the most truthful one. It, it depends. Yeah. Everything it's a cop out, but it's true. Yeah, yeah. everything depends. Every, context matters in every situation, is what I tell people. Mm-hmm. And they go, "Well, that sounds like you're dodging it," and I go, "It, it could be, <laughs> but it's the truth. It's all I got for you." <laughs> yeah, it is true. So let me ask you about this then, because as a copywriter, right, um, you, a lot of what you're doing is about making uh, marketing have an impact, right? Um, so what are a couple of the one or two, uh, three maybe, uh, key points and key elements that you look for in writing a clear, impactful ad for your clients? Well, the first one, and I, I kind of hammer on about this to, to anyone that will listen, clients or <laughs> colleagues or whatever, is that you need to get it noticed. And that, you know, it's the, it's, it is the sine qua non, as we used to say in medicine of, of advertising is that you need to get it noticed. So Dave Trott, for example, talks about the phenomenon of wallpaper advertising, which is, you know, the, the stuff that you see all the time that you barely even notice because it's, it's simply, you know, generic and bland and, and so making your advertising stand out is, and your copywriting, uh, is, is the first principle. You have, you have to get that, um, because everything else, as Bill Birnbach said, is academic. Um, so that's, that's first thing. Um, the next is that you need to clearly communicate what the benefit of, of your product or your service is upfront. Um, and Drayden Bird talks a lot about this. It's worth reading his stuff. Um, about it. So you can't kind of hide, you know, the key benefit of, of whatever it is that you're selling, you know, halfway down the page or as the kind of sign-off line or whatever, you know, you really have to make that very clear up front and the rest becomes a build on, on that benefit. And, and, and I guess, um, if you like, it can become a bit of a story. I mean, storytelling is a horribly overused word and, um, but, but that really is key to a lot of copywriting as well. Um, and you need to kind of lead your, um, reader through a bit of a, um, a bit of a journey to, you know, why, why, it, why it is that they have to have your, your product, your service. So that's, I mean, that's probably it in a nutshell. And I think, um, one of the things that I often talk a lot about is, is the avoidance of, of jargon, you know, and, and the kind of classic business speak stuff that you see in a lot of copywriting. I mean, that turns off readers instantly for, for the most, most part. Um, so I'm very, very, um, committed if you like to, uh, to using to, to using plain english and 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 kind of avoiding all that stuff so and that and that's a really important part of of kind of connecting with your reader and being and sounding human so yeah 
No, I mean, well, basically with the first point of getting noticed and then communicating value is the number two thing. You basically valued, validated all my work to that, that I tell <laughs> people all the time. So thank you very <laughs> much. You, <That's laughs> you, you've now made me look like a lot smarter person than I really am. So thank you for that. <laughs> and um, the storytelling thing probably leads into the book, right? Because, um, you know, we are here sure. to sell some books um, and delusions <laughs> of brand. <laughs> oh, man, well, you know, I, I was going to say, I was going to joke at the front that I, I was going to have you on for three reasons, right? Number one was sell some books. Number two, you're smarter than I am. And then number three, you're great to have a drink with. Um, so, <laughs> so we're here to, <laughs> here to sell some books. Number, and, number three is, is rapidly eroding number two, but yeah. <laughs> um, but the book is great. Um, I would tell everybody, I'm going to link to it in the show notes. Uh, it, the first thing that you're going to notice is that the book is beautiful. Um, and you had Gasp, mm. who is a um, London-based agency, right? Uh, with uh, with yes, Giles correct. Edwards. Is that right? Or am I saying Giles Edwards, yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and it's, it's great. Now, uh, how did you come to the decision to create a book that not only is, I would probably use the word scathing, and takes the knocks the piss out of a lot of people, um, even if they don't realize it, but then you also <laughs> went, went so far as to make it um, – you know, really great looking, uh, you know, how, because I think that, you know, that's like really important and it makes the book like so great on so many levels. How do, you know, what led you to the design element first? Because well, it tells a story, I think, and, you know, and I think, and I think oh, Giles will <laughs> love that description. Um, but it's very true, I think. And, and in some ways, no, you're only, it's only kind of occurring to me now that you mention it. But it, but in some ways it really is that marriage of, of art and copy that, that is so crucial to, to really good advertising. Um, we, essentially how it started was that I had just kind of almost flippantly, um, mooted the idea of, of, of putting together a book, uh, on Twitter a couple of years ago. And Giles contacted me to say, I'd known him kind of, you know, through Twitter for a, a few years, um, and he just contacted me to say, well, if you, you know, if you're really keen on this, then we'd love to design it for you, which was amazing <laughs> um, and kind of unexpected. And we didn't do much about it for a while, but then he, I think, reminded me of it, and I said, all right, well, look, I'll, I'll get some stuff together and send it over to you, which is what I did. And really, it was just a collection of stuff that I'd done over the past few years. So there was essentially no new material or very little. Um, uh, and I'd adapted a few things and, and that kind of thing. But we agreed up front that the the kind of material it was and the fact that it was a bit of a mishmash of, you know, longer form pieces and satirical posts and little cartoons and things like that, that one of the really important aspects of it, would, that it would was that it would be very visual. Um, and wasn't going to be a, you know, a traditional marketing book. Uh, and I think that they achieved that beautifully, as you say, you know, it really is a work of art <laughs> to look at. Um, and it, and it really elevates kind of what I had, had even considered, um, for, for the book. So, so it's just been, yeah, they, they were incredible to work with. Um, they've done an amazing job and, and it's, I'm kind of very proud of, of just how it looks aside from anything else. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, it's, the package is, is what really was striking to me because I wrote some political ads in the 2012 election. So to me, like, 
the marriage of image and words, it, it, it sits very close to me. Um, you know, so that, that, that the whole combination really, really struck it. Um, but let me ask you a couple of questions about the book, because I think that people have, and I've said by the book, I think a hundred times at this point, because I think it's great. Um, but how did you develop your voice? Because one of the things that I really love is when I read somebody and they have a voice that is uniquely them, that is undeniably, yep you how did you develop that that voice well i think i didn't really need to cultivate it too much because i think i think it is really my voice and always has been to some extent so even even well before i got into uh to marketing or advertising you know this industry i had a ten a sort of a tendency towards a pretty satirical uh style of writing, um, cause I'd always written stuff for various things, you know, even when I was back at uni, I used to write for the uni magazine and things like that. Uh, so that was, uh, what came most naturally to me. Now I think I, probably the other side of it is that I came in as a bit of a skeptic, <laughs> as I, as I kind of mentioned before, um, because of my scientific background. And so, so I was pretty well attuned to, to the kind of, to the overblown stuff and the and the fluffy nonsense that we see a lot in our industry so so that's i guess how i got started you know on twitter i I started kind of writing these little satirical things um and it just developed from there i think um uh as i say i haven't really had to to work too hard on that apart from kind of realizing what well no i suppose the other thing to say is that i drew a lot on the work of other people um you know people like dave trott uh, Drayton Bird and these kind of guys who, who probably don't have quite, the, the, quite as much cynicism as me in their work, but, but certainly they don't uh, tolerate bullshit. So, uh, yeah, so that's probably how it happened. Yeah, no, the, the voice part, your, your, the voice is, is like so specific and so unique in the same way like Dave Trott. If, um, I'm not sure if a lot of people who are hearing this have heard of Dave, um, but if you haven't, you should go check him out. His blog is great. His book is, um, to say it's minimalist in its writing, uh, would be, I think, accurate, but also the stories yep. are so specific. And, um, you know, the, and voices like as a writer or a speaker or just a, you know, a brand or a personality, which I hate, probably you're going to yell at me for using brand as, in this term, uh, <laughs> you know, it's so important. It's, it, it, it because yeah. you know, personality, I think that that's one of the things that's missing in a lot of advertising and branding and marketing is that everybody's trying to chase everybody to be first to be second to be just like everybody else and and you know it's so great when you hear people uh either write or speak and they have you know it's them right and, and, yep. and, this, yep. and, and dave's, dave's classic really in that respect yeah you know it's very immediately obvious and he's a you know he's a master of well he's a, he's a great ad man former ad man um so he, he he's a master of this kind of thing and he kind of applied that to to his own work um and uh and he's done it really well so yeah i'd highly recommend his books um while we're at it and in fact i saw i don't know if you saw this yesterday but uh amazon is recommending um a bundle of of his book and richard shotton's book and mine 
but um, they've very, very generously not given any discount on it. For, <laughs> yes, that's Amazon for you. That's Amazon for you. <laughs> now, um, I, I, I shouldn't actually let this pass because I'm flipping here and I was, I was I was about to make a joke, but there's one part of the book is filled with jokes, right? And one, I think I wrote a um, a blog post about this, and I said, you know, a lot of times advertisers take themselves very seriously. Um, that can be very self-serious um, or ads have stopped being funny. And one of the things about the book is that it's very funny. Like, I mean, really funny, but one thing I don't want to lose this in, in the, in the fact that the book's funny and it's beautiful and you should buy it is that one of the things that you bring up, it's a great point, And I'll get back to the jokes in a second, but you write a piece about being bored of your brand and you say it's good. And this is a point I want to highlight because I was thinking about when we were talking and I should have brought it up when we were talking about brand versus direct response advertising. It's that we have to remember that we, as soon as we're bored with something, that's when people maybe are just starting to notice it. Um, and yep. you know, and I want, if you could, could you highlight why that is? And give us a little bit more about that since I missed that earlier in the conversation. And as I flipped through, I saw that and I was like, that's a really great point that I think is often missed because we're always trying to chase the new because for some reason, um, everybody's bought into like, well, if you don't give somebody a new message every day, they're going to ignore you. Yeah. Oh, look, it is a huge problem. Uh, it's one of the, one of the biggest issues I think in, in marketing is, is, as I mentioned before, this tendency towards short-termism and, and a kind of a, a desire for novelty, I guess. And the problem is that, and I'm certainly not the first person to, to comment on this, but marketers, uh, you know, they deal with their brand every day. They see their their materials every day, their logo, all that kind of stuff. And so, they, so there's a natural tendency for them to become bored of it and and to think, well, you know, they we keep saying, you know, it's something that they've seen for a long time. And so they assume that there's a sort of a level of fatigue about it, which they are experiencing. But, but of course, that doesn't, um, extend to their audiences because, um, you know, we know that most people will only kind of see, they might only see an ad. I don't know, but it depends how often they put them out there, but, but they they might see an ad every, month or six months or you know they they might have very little exposure to that brand um which is in complete contrast to to what the the brand manager will be seeing and so that plus the fact that there is this um short tenure for for cmos and that kind of thing is that there's a lot of turnover um, and of course, when that happens, you know, marketers come in and they and and they want to change things because they want to put their stamp on it. Um, so there's this kind of confluence of factors that means um, that that uh, advertising doesn't run for as long as it should. Things like taglines get get changed, you know, much sooner than they should before they've even kind of been um, had a chance to imprint themselves um, in people's minds. Logos get changed, brand refreshes get done, you know, every couple of years you know all this sort of stuff that we see um and it's um it's hugely detrimental to building a a a brand over time and that's that's really the only way to do it and and the point that i make in that piece is that you know you just need to keep hammering the same distinctive brand assets which is uh, byron Sharp's term um over and over again um, because that's the only way that you're going to get people um to to recognize them over time yeah i've got 
so I've got three more questions, and they are actually, and then and then four, which is definitely the fourth one will be a joke, no doubt about it. Um, that I'll <laughs> ask, and they're they're completely for people who have read the book, I believe. Um, so if to get the joke, you're gonna have to buy the book again. Brands of del- <laughs> delusions of brandier <laughs> on Amazon. <laughs> yeah. Now, my first question is: Are you now a famous marketer? <laughs> uh, wow, that's a hard one. Um, no, no, I'm not definitely not a famous marketer because I think, in some ways, I'm not even a marketer really. Um, I, I'm, you know, I sit in a funny space really because I, I'm in a very, very um, particular niche, which is healthcare communications and healthcare advertising. Um, and so, to the to the broader world, I'm, you know, we're completely unknown. <laughs> uh, I guess where I and and also you know I don't have a, a general marketing role so no I don't think I could call myself even a marketer let alone a famous marketer I guess where I do have some level of um, of notoriety uh, is really in the online marketing community and advertising community um, where I've built up a bit of a bit of a following there but that's really the extent of it I think. Yeah. So then so then the second question and that leads into so if you're not a famous marketing a marketer yet. But we're going to work on this. Is does that mean we should or should? <laughs> it could be all different. Who knows? <laughs> I was going to say, but so does that mean we should or should not uh, work on a book together and call it sewer marketing? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'm starting to think that something like that uh, is a good idea because these books seem to be a lot more popular than uh, than mine and others. So you know, maybe maybe the jokes on me. Maybe so. That's exa- that's exactly right. Um, I think. We've, we've been trying to out trick her. We've been out, tri- um, how do I want to say it? We've been tricking ourselves. We've been outsmarting ourselves while Gary Vee and Simon Sinek are, uh, getting paid. Rolling and rolling in cash. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, maybe, yeah, uh, we're, we're suckers. BS to the masses is totally, uh, where it's at. Um, mm-hmm. so the final question then before my joke here, uh, is going to be, you know, what do millennials want today? <laughs> <laughs> I was not prepared for this question. I see, this is going to uh, well, be the toughest you, interview you've you done the whole time. The book, the book. Yeah, if, you, if you listen to marketers, apparently what they want is experiences rather than you know things, uh, and that's just one of the many um, <laughs> nonsensical delusions uh, that that a lot of marketers are under about millennials. I mean, look, I guess the the answer is that millennials want all sorts of different things, just like any other. Um, demographic of humans does, and there's no, there's no such thing as a millennial. Can I can I say that? You, you absolutely can. I, I I'm making jokes at these things, but I think they're all like incredibly uh, relevant points that people need to be aware of. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and, yep. you, and you and you know, you can tell people the truth and disguise it in a joke a lot of times, or you can tell people a truth that you can't tell them with a straight face. Disguised as a joke, yep. and I think that's what yeah. and th- that does yeah. very well. That's that, and that's very much been my approach. And I think I kind of realised early on that that being um, too direct about these things can get you in trouble. <laughs> um, so, so you, you're trying to take a humor, humorous angle um, is a nice way around it. Oh yeah, I get myself in trouble all the time for being too direct. So, uh, <laughs> so I have to learn from you. Um, now the final one is completely a joke at my own expense, and it's, um, do you mind helping me write one of these consulting firm reports later? <laughs> totally. Joking. I can do that for you. <laughs> now, Ryan, where do people find the book? Uh, Besides on Amazon, Amazon is, you have the website, right? 
Yeah, you can you can enrich Jeff Bezos <laughs> a bit more. Um, so you can find it on Amazon. It's not on every international site, which is, which we thought it would be, but there seems to have been a bit of a hiccup with that. Um, but certainly the US, um, UK, Canadian, um, it's it's there. Should be easy to find if you search for my name or for for the title of the book. Um, and yes, we do have a landing page as well, which is delusionsofbranger.com. Uh, which will, which has some links to the, to the Amazon sites, but also has, or will soon have some little extra bonus things that we're going to put on there. Um, and potentially even a little bit of merch, like we're thinking about doing some posters and things like that from, from snippets of the book. So, so if you go there, you, you might find, uh, some, some extra little things coming soon. And your Twitter handle, so people can find you there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Dr. Underscore Draper, D-R-A-P-E-R. Lock the madman. Awesome. Hey, Ryan, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you very much for having me on, and thanks for the plugs. Go out and get Ryan's book. I'm going to put a link to it in the show notes. It's called Delusions of Brandier. You can find it on Amazon. As always, I'd love to get your feedback on this episode. Send me an email. It is my name, Dave, at DaveWakeman.com. To find out what I'm up to, you can visit my website. It's DaveWakeman.com. There's where you'll find my blog um, with all the stuff that I'm working on, including the whiteboard workshop and everything else. I'd love it if you connect with me on social media. You can follow me on the Twitter at David Wakeman. I'm still trying to wait for Twitter to take back some of those usernames that haven't been used in years and years and years because the at Dave Wakeman Twitter handle hasn't been used, I think, since 2010. I need it. Uh, Make sure you connect with me on LinkedIn. You can just search for me, Dave Wakeman. On LinkedIn, you'd get me. If you like what I'm doing with the podcast, I'd love it. If you would share it with coworkers, colleagues, friends, anybody who you think would benefit from an episode or a conversation, like this one with Ryan Wallman. Um, a great one I've been pointing people to lately is the one early on with Lauren Teague and her experience being the first social media manager for the PGA Tour. Um, Tammy Gaw, um, Ali Scheuer, Derek Palmer, tons of great episodes. If you have also started to share it with you, maybe you want to become a subscriber. Last I checked, the Business of Fun podcast is on everywhere you can go to get your podcast. It's fantastic. And if you're a subscriber, I'd love it if you'd leave a review. These reviews help encourage people to come on the, the podcast. It helps make sure that people can discover the podcast. And it encourages me to keep doing this thing. It's a labor of love sometimes. Um, if you're going to be at Intix next week, let me know. Send me an email, daviddavewakeman.com. I'll be hanging out with the folks from Booking Protect at number 522. That's Stay in 522 right by the food and beverage. Um, you know, so come check us out. Simon put together a high and low card game, which I'm sure is going to be a lot of fun. Um, it, it probably goes into many of the other crazy games that Simon has come up with over the years, including um, with the locks. Uh, and unlocking the safe the one time. Uh, there was also a money pit or a money machine that we uh, danced around in before. Um, it's going to be great. If you don't already, I would encourage you to get my newsletter, Talking Tickets. It's a once-weekly newsletter. It goes out on Fridays with five top stories from the week and a little analysis of what the story means to you. You can get that by visiting my website, DaveWakeman.com, and clicking on the tab that says Get the Talking Tickets Newsletter. Um, it's 
been pretty valuable for people. The open rate is above 50%. Um, people click through the links um, at 10, 12, 15%. It's an incredible resource. It's something that is one of the most fun things that I do each week, and I've found that it's um, really, really valuable to folks. So get the Talking Tickets newsletter. As always, I want to thank my friends at Booking Protect for being great partners of me, the Business of Fun podcast, the Talking Tickets newsletter. Find out how you can partner with Booking Protect by visiting them at their website. It's www.bookingprotect.com. As this week we're heading into Intix, make sure if you're going to be at Intix or you're in New York City and you want to get together, uh, have a cup of coffee, a cup of tea, um, a drink or something with me, uh, Kat, Simon, Kath, Vicky, let me know. Send me an email, daviddavewakeman.com, and we'll make sure we get together with you. Um, we'll make sure we have a, a nice conversation, have a little fun, answer uh, any questions you might have about me, about tickets, about booking protect, anything. Um, so we hope to see you in New York. Um, and until next time, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Um, again, this one with Ryan, I'm really excited to share with everybody. Uh, hopefully the technical difficulties did not screw up your enjoyment. Uh, and thank you so much for being here. I really can't thank you all so, uh, so much for listening. It's just so awesome how many people uh, listen, send me emails, notes, and reach out to me about because they hear the podcast or the, get the newsletter, and it helps them become better at their job or learn something new or apply something new or do something great. So thank you, and I'll see you soon.